A big boss must have a vision. We got a town with thousands of small stores and businesses. People who are working real hard. I think they should be working real hard for us. Because we are for the people. And if you ain't for the people, you can't buy the people. Lincoln. We will become the people's silent partner. Every time some citizen buys a pound of hamburger, we get a nickel. Every time some guy gets a haircut, we get a dime. We'll dress like bankers. Join the Rotary Club. Together, we will own this town. try to stand out from the herd. It's the Cinema 9 Podcast with your host, Michael Govier, Eric Brandstrom, and Travis Roy. Coming to a speaker near you right now. everybody it's time for another episode of cinema nine podcast we are standing by at your pleasure my name is michael govier along with my other co-hosts travis roy and eric albert branstrom travis how's it going today hey everybody how you doing i'm doing good always very tempered very mild-mannered you are a pretty placid guy i think (laughs) well you eric you excited for today's show I'm over-caffeinated and unemployed. <laughs> oh, shit. Did you get late? Are you not working now? Or is that no, I'm student teaching, teaching, so I haven't been working. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Not paying attention to your life. My fault. Uh, well, this oh. is the Cinema Nine podcast. Painful memories may come up in this show. Hopefully they don't, um, unless you hate Dick Tracy. Today's focus is Dick Tracy. That'll be the main event. That'll be the key ingredient of today's show we're going back to 1990 folks when bright colors were used and may or may have not have set up the failure of the batman franchise when joel schumacher took over in 1995 i'm not saying no. that's dick tracy's fault but that's a little no. preview no. so uh we're gonna run through that uh we're gonna have an email at the end of the show of course uh, we'll talk about our quarantine picks what's been going on there and we're gonna open it up with Mark Ruffalo talk, which sounds goofy, but trust me, it's going to be fun. <laughs> but first, as always, we like to check in. And before we do, it is the Cinema 9 Pod, Cinema 9 Pod at ProtonMail.com. That's the numerical nine, Cinema 9 Pod, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, check us out. Connect with us. Send us a message. Tell us about your favorite movies. Tell us why you hate the choices we make of movies we analyze. <laughs> but first, Travis, how you doing, bud? What's cooking over there? 
Oh, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of the same over here. You know, I, I, I take care of the, I'm teaching a class online, so I kind of do that in the mornings and then uh, settle into watching movies. So there's been quite a bit of movie watching, quite a bit. I, uh, I made a list this time and uh, to see, I wanted to see how many movies I could jam in between uh, podcast sessions. And I, and I hit 31, which I feel like is pretty good for a week. Damn. <laughs> Most impressive. Movies. Yeah, I'm going to wow. post them on our, on our Facebook or whatever. Why not? You know, I, I wrote them down. Might as well do something Jesus. with them. Share with the people. That's beautiful. Yeah. You're really going deep, man. I mean, you've already seen a lot of movies in your life. It isn't it amazing that it'll never end. You'll never see all the movies in the world. <laughs> I, I'm doing a good mix of like either things that I haven't seen in a long time or things that I haven't seen at all. I'm, tr I'm trying to avoid stuff that like, you know, are my regular go-to's. The Mordecai comfort watch. Yeah, exactly. I, I did Mordecai right before the uh, the collapse of civilization, fortunately. So I've got I've got that going on for me. <laughs> Eric, you've been watching uh, more Columbo, or have things changed? I finished up the entire series, which I own on DVD. So I've moved on to uh, movies. So Wait, how many seasons are there? Uh, six and a half, seven. Oh. Then they they switched networks and came back with really shitty TV movies on uh, mm. CBS. They're awful. Character falls into characterization and pastiche. They destroy the character. It's like it's like a quintessential character assassination. He doesn't act anything like the cool film noir detective that you love in the seventies. Just a bumbling fucking dumb idiot. <laughs> but um, I've I've moved on to regular movies. I'm in a um disaster picture phase from the 70s so i took out the towering inferno which is really good uh beside adventure the swarm which is about an onslaught of african killer bees um yeah so it's been fun wow I'm are we doing a roundup now Columbo. no we're just uh this is just what we've been up to relax everything's fine okay? <laughs> what we've been up to is exactly yeah, just movies. <laughs> the same thing as well, the Well, yeah, I get, you're free to go in any direction you want, gentlemen. You choose. Your, it's like you choose your own adventure. That's what this show's like. No, it's a world. Well, Eric, I'm sorry that Columbo went off the rails. I asked the question about the number of seasons because I really didn't know because I've only known it through syndication because it was done during a period before. Like the show was done in seasons in the 70s, right? Technically, they were like, uh, they used to have like the Sunday night mystery movie of the week. And they had like several of those in a year. So they just called them seasons from 1968 to 76 when the series ended. 68. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Two pilot yeah, episodes and then the regular series. So, yeah. But now we're on disaster pictures from mega maniacal producer Erwin Winkler. I'm excited <laughs> about... Uh, like the Towering Inferno is actually really good with Paul Newman, and like he trashed it like for the entirety of his career. He said, "Stupid turkey piece of shit! I got a million dollars, ten percent of the gross, but the movie sucks. I'll never do one of those again." Then five years later, he teamed back up with Erwin Winkler for When Time Ran Out about a volcano terrorizing. <laughs> the city. Is this Erwin uh, Winkler of Empire Strikes Back? No, that's Erwin Kirshner. Oh, this guy's strictly disaster pictures. Oh yeah, okay. Thought it was wrong. Really know your Irvings. Know your Irwin slash Irvings. Uh, right. That too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have names. So uh, the quarantine is tough, you know. 
I just know that I'm doing the best I can here, and I hope you guys are doing the best you can in your respective zones, and we wish you all the best out there. Hank Tough, we're here to talk about film, actors, anything to do with movies, TV even. We're we're pretty open-minded. It's entertainment. We might even do, like, Tony Awards and, you know, Broadway. Who knows? Who knows where we'll go? Not likely. Oh. (laughs) Maybe we could name one Tony Award winner. Uh, Didn't Kramer Uh, win a Tony? I have no idea. Don't follow that world. <laughs> I watched that episode last night where Kramer goes up on stage when they he's filling the seats and he accidentally gets the Tony and then Raquel Welch beats his ass. It's hilarious. Oh yeah, <laughs> Raquel Welch. What a beautiful woman. Good lord, is she still alive? Anybody know? Yeah, she's around. That's amazing. Rochelle, she's got to be Rochelle. eighty something. Rochelle, <laughs> from Milan to Minsk, Milan a to girl's Minsk. erotic journey. <laughs> Well, that's I was still watching that damn Seinfeld. But beyond that, I'm just trying to hang tough and do the best I can. And recording podcasts gives me joy. Connecting with my dear friends, Travis and Eric. What a pleasure. We are here to have fun. And we're going to find out today if Dick Tracy holds up. But I got to tell you, there's something that's been stewing between Eric and Travis mainly. <laughs> and the question is, Mark Ruffalo, does he hold up? Is he a valid actor? Is he, be, is he a good actor? Because he's done a lot to validate a career, there's no doubt. But the question is, Travis, is Mark Ruffalo maybe a great actor, someone who is deserving of award praise in the right role? Is, is he a valid actor? I like that question. Like, is, does he exist? <laughs> that was a poor choice of words. Yeah. No, I, I was just playing. Um, so, all right. So, like, I have... Well, let me let me ask you this, Eric. You are not a fan of Ruffalo, right? Just to, I'm a just fan. So, I'm a you fan. Are a fan. I just, uh, yeah, I just decided one time, like, what's the deal with Mark Ruffalo? Is this guy good or what? Because I, I found myself, as we've been kind of talking about this in the past week, kind of preparing to defend the career of Mark Ruffalo. But if you have no, <laughs> if you have I'm not no going to come at you with any uh, attacks on his. Well, there's a couple of uh, missteps from the early 2000s. I'll get well, into. That's true for that's true for most all. actors. All right, so so the question because the question you posed was, is Mark Ruffalo even a good actor? Yeah. And then the answer is from both of us, yes. Is that the end of the segment? Yeah, I don't know how much uh, entertainment entertaining conflict we'll have, but uh, I thought we'd chat a little bit about this guy. <laughs> all right, well, what do you have in mind? Uh, favorite Mark Ruffalo performance? Top Mark Ruffalo performances of all time. Non-Marvel. Non-Marvel, of course. Non-Marvel. I mean, Marvel's its own separate celestial perfect thing. Cash but... machine. <laughs> um, so favorite Ruffalo role barring the Marvel cinema. Shutter um, Island? No, you know, I don't... So I, I, I've been watching some Ruffalo movies of late. I kind of peppered them in hither and thither over the past week. And this morning I watched a one that, you know, that I felt like was probably the strongest I've seen in his career, but I might have like recent bias because I just watched it. But I watched uh, Infinitely Polar Bear this morning. Oh. And that was, uh, that was just a delight. It was, it, was, it was a nice little film. And I thought it was a really good showcase for his talents because – I watched some other movies recently too. I watched Dark Waters and I watched um, uh, Oh, the Kids Are All Right, which I thought was really good. Um, I think that like the thing is with him is that if there if there is questions from people perhaps other than Eric about his his uh, <laughs> acting abilities, I think that he's really um, I think he's a very he's low key. You know, he has a he has a he has a light touch, 
He doesn't overact, which um, I think that sometimes it's easy for us in a world of uh, Pacinos and Nicholsons and stuff to sometimes look for that kind of stuff. And uh, maybe not, you know, but like Ruffalo is a very measured actor. And I liked Infinite, Infinitely Polar Bear in particular because since he's playing a bipolar character, um, you know, it, it would have been a good opportunity for him to just go off the rails and just um, But instead, like, it's a very believable performance because he's like, you know, he's just like a normal guy who's, got, who's dealing with this thing. Yeah, for those so, who don't know, Infinitely Polar Bear is about a father struggling with bipolar disorder, and he tries to win back his wife by attempting to take full responsibility of their two young-spirited daughters, written and directed by Maya Forbes, also known for Monsters vs. Aliens, and a writer on the uh, American Crime Story TV series, so that's just the, to let that, people know. That's the, IMDb, that's the IMDb summary, which is inaccurate. <laughs> it's not the, that's not exactly the plot of the film. How dare you? How dare Pretty you close. challenge IMDb's authority? <laughs> how dare you? How dare my how dare? It, it gets a 7.0 out of 10 stars. That's a solid rating. That's about what I would give it. Maybe six, six or seven. Who's good? Wow. Eric, so you have a my, response to these comments? I mean, you all, uh, Travis, by the way, you also said you watched uh, The Kids Are All Right the other day, which was with Annette Benning and Julianne Moore. And mm-hmm. he was also, I've seen that movie. It's very good. I enjoy his performance. I, I love his kind of, he's dedicated. He's trying to like be more than he thinks he can be, but he ends up being who he is in the end. I really enjoy it, the honest performance he gives in that. It's yeah. really well done. Yeah, I think that's, uh, he's, a, he's an honest actor. It's not always a lot of bells and whistles, but it's, he gives honest performances. I can respect Eric, his humble yeah. uh, beginnings. I think he's from Wisconsin. But I do know he studied at, with Stella Adler, who is like the premier oh boy. Uh, acting teacher of the 20th century, training uh, Marlon Brando and Montgomery Clift and Marty Landau. So, uh, the legend. Yeah. Marty. I think he was classmates with uh, Michio Del Toro. But uh, I mean, it doesn't get much in, much better than that when it comes to, to theater. And you're right. He, he does play it low key. Uh, do you guys remember when you first remember starting to notice him i think the first thing i saw him was eternal sunshine of the spot was mine which i kind of forgot he was in <laughs> he was playing these little small supporting role collateral yeah eternal sunshine and i remember being like who who the hell is this guy but mark buffalo the hell is going on <laughs> <laughs> well my friend I brad saw, yeah. oh, sorry. you go ahead Mike. oh go ahead go ahead well my friend brad um i went to film school with him and around that time what well, we were in school together, uh, you can count on me. Came out, and uh, and my this friend was like two thousand one. Really, yeah, two thousand two thousand one. And my friend was really impressed by. It. He's like, "Oh, check out the performance! I think this guy's really going to go somewhere." So I watched that movie, and I thought it was pretty good. And I thought it really kind of like he's really done similar things since, like Infinitely Polar Bear, and uh, the kids are all right. Have like, like those movies? Are like I don't know. Like there's come some th- common themes in, the, in those in those characters but yeah you could count on me written and directed by the always kind of down in the dumps kenneth lonergan oh boy that's uh but it gets a 7.5 very strong rating and if it's kenneth lonergan i'm usually in i'm sure he that's a great match i've never seen that film and i'd kind of like to see that if you missed it it came out in 2000 and travis with a nice recommendation you would still recommend it to this day I would recommend uh, Infinitely Polar Bear or um, uh, what's the other one I just said? You Can Count On Me? Yeah, uh, The Kids Are All Right. I'd, rec- I'd oh. recommend those be- before You Can Count On Me. 
Okay, so the first time I recognized Mark Ruffalo, it was probably in that a movie I've watched more than once because I want it to be better than it is. Uh, the Last <laughs> Castle with Robert Redford and James Gandolfini. Yeah. The prison showdown movie where he's the Robert Redford's the uh, disgraced general in prison, but he's got so much respect because he uh. did the right thing, whatever the hell it was. And uh, yeah. Mark Ruffalo's like his uh, tech nerd buddy who's just trying to help him survive. <laughs> that was the first time. I saw Mark Ruffalo, as far as I could tell. I thought my original point was in the cut, which I saw the year the it came cut. out. With Meg, <laughs> most famous for Meg Ryan doing full bush and all that, full frontal nudity. And it ruins everything <clears throat> we used to love about Meg Ryan. But uh, my favorite performance from Ruffalo is probably in Zodiac. I think he nails yeah, Dave yeah. Toski. David so, so good in that. I'd watched Zodiac a million times. It's a great movie. And he's a real key part of that. He's so exhausting in that movie. He's really different in that film because he's kind of – he's doing the high-strung kind of style of Dave Toski, and it's done really well. So that was impressive. Yeah, my favorite performance is, is in Foxcatcher, which uh, yeah, I, I don't think gets enough credit. I, have always, I always talk about Foxcatcher. I think more than a lot of other roles for him, this was the most kind of quietly intense and – and physically interesting role he he's done so um another really good one is a film that no one saw called reservation road where he oh, plays I've seen a run driver who's kind of living in turmoil after after doing this horrible thing um so yeah back in the day he would slip under the radar with these really quiet kind of reserve nuanced performances but that's kind of one of the reasons i'm I don't want to get into the whole Marvel thing, but I'm missing a lot, a lot of stuff from good old Ruffalo. And I'm excited for this new HBO show where he's going to play dual roles. He's going to play identical twins. So let's see what happens Ooh. there. How about that? I, he was great in the normal heart, which I saw. So that was something he did in the Marvel era, which was right during the same year as Foxcatcher, which I loved Foxcatcher when I saw it, but most, I'm glad that you liked it. Most people I talked to at the time said, it should have just been a documentary. They didn't need to make a drama of it. And I no thought way, I it was, I thought it was underrated. I agree. I, I think it was good, but it's not one that I've gone back to personally. It's not fun. If you get a chance to Google image, the cover box for just like heaven, <laughs> four, you'll laugh out loud because Mark Ruffalo's face says it all. He's literally like, look, I, I didn't want to be in this. <laughs> is that the one with Reese Witherspoon? I don't want to watch it. Yeah, it is really funny. Uh, I don't know I've seen that movie. Was, but oh my God, the cover box is hilarious. His, his face says it all. His face is like, uh, look, I'm trying to branch out there into the mainstream. So It's actually written by Peter Tolan of like Larry Sanders show and Rescue Me fame. He's done a lot of okay. good stuff. That's surprising. Okay. I mean, one... One thing I like, normally when it comes to uh, celebrities, you know, um, getting into activism and stuff, it sometimes can be a little bit heavy handed for me personally, but Ruffalo's huge on Twitter when it comes to his uh, advocacy for global environmentalism. Yeah, that's um, true. It, it, it's very inundating if you follow him. I'm, I'm actually thinking about maybe taking a little break, but he's done a lot of good things as a as a humanitarian. So I don't know how much you guys know about that. Yeah, I follow him, and I I am annoyed when um, people use their celebrity and power for good. 
Yeah, I'm not but, saying uh, I'm annoyed. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm just I could, you know. You. I'm just playing. But yeah, but no, yeah, he's there is an annoying. He's but definitely possible, a good advocate. Possible 9-11 truther? Uh, I don't know. What? I don't know what you guys have looked into that. No, well, to put a local spin on it, he has done. He tried to do, you know, make awareness for Flint water crisis. So that was one yeah. thing locally he was okay. trying to be a a positive force in the world for. But I know, you know, Hollywood people who get involved in this stuff sometimes it could come off as fake, and that's it's a difficult. It's a very difficult. I think it's become a highly controversial topic now, unfortunately, because people seem to try to just use their their force in the world for a good as travis said but sometimes people are just telling people to do something and then they're sitting on their asses but i don't think mark ruffalo is one of those guys i really don't no like i say i do respect it uh not really sure about him trying to get nbc to stop hiring white conservative commentators but uh <laughs> gotta read into that a little bit more just a- let's just stop I'm- let's just stop there <laughs> yeah I, I mean honestly like I, I mean, if we want to talk about like his personal life and this and the stuff that he does like that's that's interesting too but like i mean there's a lot of actors who i like their work way more than mark ruffalo but as people i despise far more than, than there it I is would ever feel about mark ruffalo so i mean at the end of the day I, I i do like his movies it's the classic case of the per the entertainment or the talent separated from the person themselves. What do you do? I mean, it's, whether it's a writer or a photographer, anybody who's done bogus shit that you're like, I can't get on board with this, but I really like what they've given to the world. It's how do you separate that? I think that, that in itself is kind of a, would be a fun show in my opinion, but and, and let's have, put a pin in that. I think it's, I think that's a good idea, but Ruffalo of course is like no Mel Gibson, you know, like Ruffalo, it, it seems like the complaint about Ruffalo is that he's too passionate about, the, about his causes. Yeah. Why don't you chill out, dude? Jeez. Uh, he also was in all the King's men, which was a failed attempt by Sean Penn to pretend to be Huey Long from Louisiana in the thirties. Uh, oh yeah. Work. That was a turd. That yeah. was bad. That was, that was a turd. I was very excited about that because I was back in college at that time and I was taking history classes like, oh, man, maybe Sean Penn will give this, you know, some legitimacy. And it was trash, total trash. Disappointing. But Mark Ruffalo is not the only thing or the only person in this world to have done trash. He's got a lot of interesting roles, as uh, we've all stated. I think uh, overall, Eric, Mark Ruffalo, legacy 30 years from now, positive or negative (laughs) or just blah, blah, blah. I think he's uh, established himself as a solid character actor. He's got three Oscar nominations under his belt. I like to see him uh, in another nice meaty role uh, and get the trophy because I think he's consistently been doing a lot of good work for the past 20 years. I'll continue to support this gentleman. I think that he does um, strong work, and we'll, I think we'll, I think we'll, we'll, he'll be around. You know for a long, long time. I do think that he's better in ensemble pieces or with like, not, not, not like, you know, not like huge ones, but like the, like something with four or five other strong actors like, to, to help anchor him, I guess, just cause he can be a little, not bland. That's a little harsh, but you know what I mean? Like, but like, he's, he's so straightforward, but yeah, but I think he's great. I think he's not going anywhere. I think he'll probably be acting. I think he's one of those guys that'll be around for a long time. Beautifully stated, gentlemen. Mark Ruffalo, we do salute you. Whatever anyone's <laughs> opinion is on you, you've done enough work in this world to have a legacy forevermore that will never be taken away from you. 
Unless, of course, you do something horrible and then we'll just erase you from history. But in the meantime, fracking posts on Twitter. Come on, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Fracking? Fracking's still a thing? What? (laughs) This is the Cinema 9 podcast. We want to know did you enjoy Mark Ruffalo talk? Did you hate it? Or do you have an opinion on Mark Ruffalo? Is there a guy that you think is comparable to Mark Ruffalo? Send us an email, Cinema 9 pod. At protonmail.com. That's numerical nine, cinema nine pod. And you could post a commentary, get a thread going on Twitter or Facebook. Please do. We welcome the debate, the commentary, the shared interest. We do appreciate it. I do have to say, since we're talking about Columbo, like we do in every uh, episode, if there's one guy <laughs> that could take over from the legendary Peter Falk in a reboot, I think Mark Ruffalo would be a, a, a damn good Lieutenant Columbo, in my opinion. You know, he's got wow. the same kind of deal going on. He's got the left, aloof kind of goofiness going on, but he can be serious and fun. And he's done noir in the past with Shutter Island and films like that. So, uh, Ruffalo as Columbo? Hashtag. <laughs> That's There's a... probably a portmanteau in there somewhere between Ruffalo and Columbo, but I can't think of it. Ruffumbolo. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, all new Ruffumbolo. Hashtag Ruffumbolo. Hashtag Ruffumbolo. Let's get it out there right now. In the cut. It's time to move into the segment where we all focus in and decide does it hold up? Dun dun dun. Tonight, it's 1990s Dick Tracy. Yes. Hello? You're breaking and entering, you know. Sorry. Sit down. Are you gonna arrest me? If I were gonna arrest you, I'd have done it by now. Then what are you up to, honey? I think Lips Manless is dead. And I want you to tell me who killed him. Or maybe you weren't on his side. Whose side are you on? Side I'm always on. Mine. No grief for Lips? I'm wearing black underwear. You know, it's legal for me to take you down to the station and sweat it out of you under the lights. I sweat a lot better in the dark. I know how you feel. You don't know if you want to hit me or kiss me. I get a lot of that. Look, you're safe. Big boy's in jail. You're the one that can keep him there. Give me a call. So, gentlemen, Dick Tracy, what is the initial response to having viewed this movie recently. Eric, I want to open with you because I know you're chomping at the bit. You're excited to talk about it. Let's hear it. It's the 30th anniversary of Dick Tracy. In my opinion, an underrated gem. Grossly, severely misunderstood, underappreciated. It it, it disappeared. You know, we all saw it in the theater, most of us, when we were like 10 years old. We saw the commercials. We remember the hype. And then we saw it. We were like, I don't even know if I should be watching this. The first like five minutes, like like six people get murdered. You see Madonna's nipples. Uh, there's police corruption. There's the, the grotesque monsters running around. I, you know, probably not for a nine-year-old. But um, I, I'm so glad I got a chance to, to watch it again. I, I love Dick Tracy, so I can't wait to jump into this. Wow, uh, man, that's a passionate plea. Travis, I know you weren't as gung-ho. What was your initial response to a new viewing? 
Well, I wasn't as gung ho because I have not seen this movie since I saw it in theaters when I was nine or ten. You know, I, I, it's it's been a long time. And, and when I was a kid, I, I remember not really knowing what to make of it. So, like, it's, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure where to, you know, what I was going to feel. Um, but I, I did make some notes. Um, let me read you uh, some some random things that came up on my notes here. Let, let's see. Um, uh, disturbing. Disturbing. <laughs> um, there's the word disturbing again. And there's the word disturbing again. And then my favorite line I've ever written, this movie is a scathing hot turd that gets stuck as it passes and just sits there uncomfortably. Oh. <laughs> It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I had a really hard time not being angry with you both for making me watch it. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Hell, yeah. That is the kind of response we're looking for. Um, I want to quickly just throw out some commentary. Uh, in 2000, Roger Ebert was still alive. He said, this is a movie in which every frame contains some kind of artificial effect. An entire world has been built here, away Absolutely. from the daylight and the realism of ordinary city streets. And he gave it a four out of four at that time. Wow. God bless is, him. Uh, sh shocking. Uh, another person named Desson Thompson from the Washington Post. He totally said it was trash. He says, Tracy is Tinseltown's annual celebration of everything that's wrong with itself. The hype, the agent-negotiated star system, the Hollywood fun assembly line oh. method of copycat mediocrity, etc. So, yeah, mixed reviews. Uh, uh, one more review. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone in 2001 said, for all its superficial pleasures, Dick Tracy ultimately flounders because it provides an audience with nothing to take home and dream about. Ooh. <laughs> Painful, painful. What do you think? There. What do you think, Mike? Uh, Dick Tracy is a fun film that is kind of light on any type of substance at all. <laughs> There's no substance, in my opinion, but it's highly entertaining and it brings a magical world to the screen, which is totally over the top and absurd. But it's kind of how the comic was. It was. It looked like the comic in a lot of the ways. If you ever saw the comic strip at all, I think it was a real testament to that. And in that sense, I appreciate it. Warren Beatty was way too old to play Dick Tracy. That's obvious. So you got to throw out a lot of things in this film. And for some reason, though, it gets under my skin because Al Pacino is just so over-the-top silly in this film. I love that. I love <laughs> all the little bit characters. They just, they just make me they, – they engross me in the film. It's not about some message like The Dark Knight or anything like that. It's just about all these little characters bringing – me into their world and it's enough for me to say hey, i can't wait to see what happens i mean you got <laughs> manny patanka is playing 88 keys this balding doofus piano player bit part and it's great i like that part of it yeah i love 88 keys um I, yeah i thought that him and his madonna's song was a, probably the best part of the movie oh i love that's another thing i love the music i wanted to talk about the music uh i wanted to mention that i thought it was actually really well done and Madonna recorded like a whole album of stuff. And to this day, I admit this freely <laughs> because I don't have any guilty pleasures. I have this on a Spotify playlist. Her, uh, um, I'm going to love you like no one before. Yeah. Like I, I have that on there and I listen to it and I think it's great. I also listen to more, more. <laughs> I love more. It's a fun song. Sooner or later, you're going to decide. Sooner or later, there's nowhere to hide. Baby, it's time, so I wasted 
Sondheim is, is a guy I've never been a fan of. In fact, I like musicals, but I hate every Stephen Sondheim musical, okay? Because I think his songs are super boring. I love his songs in this, especially the Oscar-nominated, uh, Oscar-winning sooner or later. Um, so yeah, the music is great. The, the, the score by Danny Elfman, uh, a little bit of a carbon copy of his uh, Batman yeah, theme. Yeah, it's but, really, uh, really is. Really in fun. fact, the movie itself is a carbon copy of Batman. We could just well, go ahead and say that. Well, listen, this has been toiling around for years, okay? I think it was a bit of a coincidence that 1989's Batman came out a year before this, and they were kind of fast-tracked to production. Coincidence. But, yeah. Well, I you mean, know Warren Beatty takes for You know this didn't just happen. Warren Beatty takes forever to get something going. He's so obsessive They spent all, the entirety of the 80s trying to get this going. And then yeah. when it was released, people were like, what the fuck? This isn't Batman. And they were pissed. Yep. Well, they marketed it like it was Batman, and that wasn't a great idea. Because um, they, they, they tried to make it like a Disney tentpole summer blockbuster thing. And it's like, hey, here's this, here's this uh, fun summer you know, romp. And it's just like um, weirdos murdering people and like a bunch of really like, <laughs> sexual innuendo and just like a freak show. Let me ask you this. Let, let me ask you guys this. Let's... Uh... I'll go with you, Eric, first. I have a thought that this movie would actually be better if they went even darker with it and maybe made it PG-13, borderline R, because it would have it would have fit the profile they were trying to go for. I think they got stuck between it trying to be darker and then, like, lighthearted, and it doesn't work in that sense. What do you think of that? Listen, like I said before, pick, I remember when the Sit in Brighton Cinema just came out. It was pre-screened with Roller Coaster Rabbit, a Roger Rabbit cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So we're all joking and eating our candy. And then it starts and you've got pseudo-sexual sadomasochism innuendo. You've got child abuse with uh, Charlie Corsmo's dad like beating the shit oh, yeah. out of him. You got to give got, the kids some chicken. You've got, you've got Al Pacino <laughs> walking around groping women intensively. You've got, you got murder. It, there's no audience for this. Okay. Like, <laughs> they, there's no demographic for yeah. this. In I fact, know. if there was one, it's probably, maybe not as far as Travis is concerned, but probably like dudes in their late 30s that love movies and, and, and film noir and like homage and stuff like that and, and comic books and stuff like that. It's not for kids, okay? Adults really didn't give a shit back in the day because there's a lot of lunacy going on. Um, so yeah, the, the, one of my biggest issues with it is, is who's the demographic here? Like who, who do they make this for? Still you, call, you call it a film noir, but like to me, it's like an oh, yeah. unfunny parody of a film noir. 
it's like a it's like a film negative of of a film noir. You know what I mean? Like this like this inside out version of it because it's just I don't know. It's it's I will say this. I mean, like there's a lot of like beautiful matte paintings and set design. Like that stuff was all the, especially the ex- like quote unquote exterior shots like of the orphanage and stuff. There's some really beautiful production design going on there and, it, and and there is some some good moments but uh i really it, I, I mean i'll have more negative things to say but i think that the biggest problem with i had with it is that i got bored i was like bored i'm like when's this fucking end this thing's interminable oh mike your response well, i mean it's only an hour and 45 minutes so that's i know unfortunately yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, a it's short that's a bummer but my my point is though like William Forsyth is flat top is great. I think he's I love him. fantastic. He does a great job in that role. And if this was a more honest and deeply darker, and a film had a guts to be not a Disney film, like masquerading as a satire or whatever the hell it was, I think that if flat top was a sadistic murdering killer, like he really wants to be, he's like, he's like on the edge of it. And they're trying to show that that's who he wants to be, but they can't because it's PG. If it went that route, I would be really way more into it like torturing Dick Tracy and shit, I could be totally down with that. That would be something I'd be totally engrossed in. Maybe it's not for me as a 10-year-old at the time, but as an adult, I would love that. I'd well, like, speaking of, like, 10-year-olds, I mean, like, I mean um, Flat Top does get mowed down by our protagonist with a machine gun in the middle of the street. Like, that's not a very Disney climax. <laughs> no, it's about 50 bullet holes at least, but there's no bullet holes, there's no blood. It's, you know, the violence is so goofy in this film. That's something I want to discuss. So the violence, like, where Dick Tracy beats up Charlie Corsmo's, so whatever, protector, you know, you got to give the kids some chicken. You know, they're arguing about chicken in that little barn shack and he's beating them up and the shack's going back and forth with each punch. It's so cartoony and silly and it's supposed to be that way. But it is a very violent and inappropriate film for kids. And it makes you wonder things, it shows how things have changed so much, right? With film ratings and everything, because this would never be a PG movie today. Well, the tone is a little bit all over the place. In my opinion, you don't need the kid character at all in the movie. If Oof. anything, it takes away from uh, the character of Dick Tracy because you only really follow him when he's dealing with the kid character. It takes away from the relationship he has with uh, uh, Glenn Headley's character, rest in peace. Um, so you could toss that out and make it darker and you probably could have a more interesting movie. I, I and I gotta say, like the Cosmo character, like I hate like precocious kids in film. You know, I hate like um, some director's idea of what he thinks a cute kid is instead of just casting a cute kid. I hated Cosmo's like little fucking bent little tie thing through the whole movie. I just like <laughs> every moment he was on the screen, I was like, get this little rat off the TV. I don't want to look at him. <laughs> yeah, he was much better in Can't Hardly Wait. He was funny. Oh, I love him in that. Can't Hardly Wait, man. And what Sticky about Bob, too? too? <laughs> oh, what about Bob? Sticky. Of course. That was the same year. That was a big Listen, year for Charlie Corsmo. He broke I emailed out. Charlie Corsmo because he's now a law professor. Fucking oh. I didn't email me back. I wanted some, uh, I wanted some <laughs> true stories. <but> I- <laughs> I'm sure oh, he's like, that's what he, that's all he wants is just like Dick Tracy emails from, from, from podcasts. 30th anniversary here, man. Yeah. He could really <laughs> give us some insight. I mean, he was like 10 years old when he did that film. I'm sure he has a lot of memories. I agree. I'm sure he that's has a lot good. to do if he's a law professor. He's probably a pretty busy guy. Charlie Corsbo, if you ever hear this, we would love to have you on the pod. Give us a shout. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I mean, I can see how someone could think the movie is a is a little bit boring. It relies heavily on homage and kind of cliched ideas of what the whole, um, you know, I don't want to keep saying film noir, but that that sort of thing where you got to have the frame, you got to have your main character framed, and he's got to be in these dire circumstances at the very end. Um, there are too many. There's four montage musical montages in it. Four, yeah. which yeah. take yeah. up probably like in total maybe about a, a a fourth of the screen time. They're this beautiful. blows Rocky Four out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> they're beautiful and fun to watch thanks to cinematography by the great Vittorio Stararo, who did Apocalypse Now and The Conformist, which is the most <laughs> of all time. But yeah, yeah. yeah too many montages relies very heavily on homage and, and cliched story beats. I will tell you that this movie won three Academy Awards. And the, only reason it won, the only reason it won three Academy Awards, it was for uh, best song, like Eric said, and uh, costume design and oh, yeah. um, makeup, and best makeup. makeup. So a lot of it has to do with the physical appearance, which it does deserve a lot of credit. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's Oscar worthy. I think the reason it won, obviously, is because Warren Beatty's involved. And he's like Oscar gold because he's been a part of the high society of Hollywood for decades at this point. Um, I, I think that might be part of my seen... problem with the movie. Oh, sorry. Go, Go ahead, fun. Travis. Yeah. I think that might be part of my problem with the movie is that I, I, I realized as I'm watching, I'm like, holy shit, I don't think I like Warren Beatty. So I think that's going to have a lot to do with not really liking the movie since he directed and starred in it. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I just don't think he's a very good I actor. I that too. Like, well, I was wondering about that too. I wanted to hear what you guys thought because he's very relaxed in the movie. He's a little bit bland. Really, all he does is react to other people around him. His superpower is like a strong right hook. And in the very, you know, his, his biggest scene where he's in this horrible situation that he's got to get out of, he just has the kid help him. So he doesn't, you know, he would have died. So the, oh, the furnace scene. Yeah. The character a little bit bland, but is it the character? Or more Beatty? I think it's, I think it's Beatty. Well, both. I the question. Both. Yeah. The question is, this is a fair question. Cause if we're going to talk about Dick Tracy. You have to discuss Warren Beatty. Cause he's the heart and soul to make the movie happen. You know, he's behind the whole production. It doesn't happen without him most likely, but I've often wondered and thought to myself, is Warren Beatty a, a good actor? Does meaning is he varied in his performances? I mean, he got a lot of clout when no. he did um, Bonnie and Clyde back in 67. That really like busted out his career. And Red, I've, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Reds, 1981's Reds. No. Very long, very nope. long film. Looks but so it's boring. A, oh, it's very long, but it's, it's very well done. I, that was probably where he gave the most honest performance and it's also really organized and giving a sense of what it was like to be this guy in the, uh, the and simply put reds is about um, a, a freelance writer who's covering the original Soviet revolution, the Bolshevik resolution in 1917. And uh, he, he did a really good job with that. I can't remember the guy's name he was portraying, but my point being is that it was the only time where I thought, wow, Warren Beatty's not playing Warren Beatty. The rest of the time, Warren Beatty's just this tall, handsome guy who yeah. gives you some good smiles and some wisecracks, and everybody's in. That's about it. I mean, I, I was yeah. I was thinking as we're having this discussion, like the only and I, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I have to see how I feel about it now. But the only um, Warren Beatty movie that I've always any ever like really really liked a lot is Bugsy. 
And and then even still, like, he's just playing like a slick kind of good looking, you know, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't a stretch for him. Um, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't think he, I don't think he, I don't think he's got a lot of chops. I don't think that throwing any protagonist in a yellow hat, and a yellow coat makes, you know, I don't know, like, it's so jarring. <laughs> the whole color scheme of the movie was just so jarring. I don't I like, so this is something I was wondering, you guys have already kind of broached it. Like, so if they rebooted this, that's what you, that's what you imagine as like a grittier take on things. Like no Dick Tracy without a yellow hat, without the yellow coat. Cause there's no way to have a gritty yellow coat. Oh, you gotta have the coat and the hat, but I'm, yeah. it could still be grittier because the rest of the world would impact it. If it had a, a consistent kind of linear focus on what it was trying to be, I think it could be done, but I see your mm. point. Yellow, yellow is not an intimidating color at all. I tell you the what. Bottom line, you, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I have the plot. You, you, a fish out of water story. You take Dick, Dick Tracy out of the 1930s comic book and place him in now, today, and have him interact with people. There you <laughs> go. Now, you, now you've got an okay movie. That would be a great movie. That would be make such a kids. contrast. Yeah, make it for young kids. Very, the younger, yeah. the better. Yeah. I mean, so gentlemen, right. yeah. Warren, Warren Beatty just stands there in every movie and like <laughs> looks handsome. I've never seen Love Story. I've never seen Bugsy. I've never seen uh, Bullworth. I've never seen that movie oh, either. Oh, 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 oh. Shit movie. Bullworth is so dumb. Cannot believe that it had like, like a strong reaction. Like critics loved it. I'm like what the that fuck? Came out our, people yeah. watch? That came out our senior year of high school, and so unfortunately, I remember watching it. And it was it was pretty <sighs> silly. And the the whole name Bullworth, it was just weird. It was very I, poorly done. I mean, it was, it was Warren Beatty rapping. That's really all you need to know. Yeah, he's been in. He was at Ishtar, which is one of the most universally panned films ever. So he's not somebody who has this like wonderful career. If we start looking at it. Send us an email. Why is Warren Beatty a star and considered a legend, legend in Hollywood? What, what is with this guy at Cinema9 at ProtonMail.com? Cinema9 so Shirley, Shirley MacLaine and, yep. and Annette wow. Benning have probably helped him out for, for decades. Yeah, yep. is, Shirley MacLaine is Warren Beatty's sister. Yeah, they're yeah, brother yeah. and sister, straight up. That's one of those That's fun facts I've, I've learned over and over again, just keep forgetting, and then I learn it again. I'm like, oh, oh. That has to be it. There's clearly been an attempt to separate the two so they could try to stand it out, but there's no way they didn't lean on each other back and forth for roles and opportunities. It's obvious. They're obviously a, a powerhouse sibling duo. But Shirley MacLaine is a hell of an actor. I love Shirley, Shirley MacLaine. We're, right. No arguments here. Uh, yeah. uh, as recently as um, Bernie. Uh, she was great in Bernie oh, yeah. with Jack Black. <laughs> yeah. She got all the charisma. I did want to mention the fact that I believe – Dick Tracy to be the best video game adaptation of all time. When Dick oh Tracy came Lord. out for the Sega Genesis, I used to play this literally every single day when I rented it uh, from Universal Sight and Sound in Brighton, Michigan off Grand River. Have you guys tried it? I have not played that. Can't I'll have to check that out. I'll, I got the Sega Genesis emulator. I'll, uh, I'll probably have the game because I have all the games. I'll check that out, though, and I'll get back to you. It's, but I it's, do... So good. Uh, I mean, it's the only game where you can. Did I remember being able to interact with the background and foreground, like with with like your Tommy gun and like your pistol? It's really fun. Um, just like the movie, in my opinion. So. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll have to check that out because I love Genesis games like that. But if we're focusing on Dick Tracy, the film, 
I want to give Madonna credit for this because she really made me horny when I was a young kid, and she did a great job doing that. That's I think Disney she deserves a lot for. of credit. She was incredibly hot and sexy in this film, and I'm not going to pull back from those statements at all. Madonna, you were way better in this movie than you were in Body of Evidence. I don't know where the charm went, you know, where the sex appeal went, but you got fully naked in Body of Evidence, and you were much sexier in this PG film. How is that possible? She got, she got almost fully naked in Dick Tracy, too. That's cool. <laughs> Well, she did. Like I'm like, what am I looking at? Yeah, nip slip. Five minutes in, PG movie. No, that's true. I'm just like, I mean, just, why? Who made that choice? Warren Beatty oh. was dating her at the time, so he probably exactly in there. I know, I know. There's no secret that they were totally boning, and he was like, you know, 60 years old already, and so whatever. <laughs> and that there was the only reason she's in the film. She would never I, be in a I, Disney film in that point, especially when she was uh, known for. He, she really was known, for, you know, the movie, the sex book, and all that stuff was coming out around this time, and the the tour with the movie about her yeah, documentary. That was, where she that was, was when that Truth or Dare documentary came up. Was exactly, when she was Truth or Dare. Thank you. So they started dating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So well, she would never be in this film without without Warren Beatty. I think that's very clear. Technically, this is. This is a Disney film, but I think this is one of the very first releases under the Touchstone banner because Disney wanted to start making money off more adult-oriented theme themes. So this is a Touchstone picture. Rob um, Reiner behind that? Is he part of Touchstone? I think he's Castle Rock, but oh. I think it's Jeffrey Katzenberg in, in, in Disney. I, I think they bought Touchstone. That's what it was later. Never mind. Nobody cares it? about that. Later, he bought. they bought it. It doesn't matter. When Touchstone failed. Because we don't see Touchstone anymore, right? No, they went. I think the other got bought out or went under. But I, I think Madonna's good in it. I, I, I even like her she acting. Is. That, that's the she thing. Is. Well, how can Warren Beatty get all these great performances from actors like Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman, Paul Sorvino, but not himself? Right. Did he? Yeah. Did he get a great performance from Al Pacino? Is that? Yes. Are we sure yes, about that? Yes, Are you 100% absolutely. sure about that? Uh, he was I'm nominated for Best Supporting <laughs> Actor. I love him as Big Boy. He was nominated for Dick Tracy? Yeah. Yes. The same, year, yes. the same year as Son of a Woman? No, two years, two years before. Two years yeah, before. Was, yeah. I think he's so good Oof. in it. Yeah, he's great. Th- I'm with you I all the think way. He is. I think I've never seen him ham it up more. I mean, it, it fits. It makes sense. But it's just like um, nauseating. What about – okay, <laughs> Fine. Travis, the, let's see if you agree on this. What about Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles? Did you find it funny? Get me Mumbles. Hello, Mumbles. What about you? Where is Lips Manless? Mumbles. Where is Lips Manless? Care for some water? I'm thirsty. Where's Lips Manless? Hmm. Where's Lips Manless? Baby Okay, you heard him, Mrs. Green. That's his testimony. Okay, boys, get him out of here. Is what? Hey, hey, 
So I remember as a kid, even like, you know, as a nine or 10 year old thinking to myself, Dustin Hoffman's the best thing in this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I still feel that way. You know what, Dustin Mike? Hoffman was, was still the best <laughs> thing in this movie. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, it was funny then. And it's the only thing that stood the test of time, frankly, in this movie for everybody. So I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely preferred his performance to the utterly disgusting Paul Sorvino performance. <laughs> Lips, whatever the fuck. Lips manless, sucking on oilless. Like, oh, God. I oh, big boy, not the bath. Not the bath. The bath is very violent, by the way. The bath it's is scary. a cement. Once again. Cement poured into a box. It's enclosed and you're dumped underwater. <laughs> a horrific way to die. Yeah, that's horrible. But oh, remember when the, and all uh, the colors are bright. Who cares? Remember when the movie tie-in came out? I would read the book like when I was in fourth grade and they had all the color pictures like in the middle. And I didn't know who Al Pacino was. So like for like six years, I thought Al Pacino looked like Big Boy Caprice. <laughs> and I saw Heat and I was like, oh. But it was face. Wow. Because <laughs> he's all face like this uh, Charles Lawton, Richard III looking grotesque motherfucker. But... I love his performance. You know, something... Uh, wait, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean, if, we're, if you guys still want to keep talking about Pacino, there's probably a lot there. I didn't mean to switch subjects. Are we so, um, it was, still Pacino chat? We're still talking about Pacino and Hoffman and all these little roles, and the big roles, that all were very entertaining and they bring some life to the show. I mean, just real quickly, you had all of these guys in this film, a, great, a lot of great actors and actresses. Like I said, William Jimmy Forsythe. Uh, Jimmy Kahn's in it ever so briefly. And you got... Paul Sorvino, as you said. Charles Durning's in this as the Dick captain. Van Dick Van Dyke as the DA. Seymour Cassell. Seymour Cassell, exactly. Catherine O'Hara in a very uh, small blinker role. Yeah. What yes. the fuck? There she is. Yeah, what the, there she's gone. That's, Kathy Bates is in this as Mrs. Green. She's the woman. <laughs> that's her. She's like the typing, and she like gets flustered because she yep. can't understand what Mumbles is saying. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting there. It's just such a bit part. I didn't even realize that was her. That would have been before even Fry Green Tomatoes. So that, that was like. Yeah, those are the same years as, as uh, Misery. Misery. Yeah. So. Oh, I bet that's probably why she was in it. Because, I mean, because James Caan probably and her buddied up that's, or something. That, that that's would make very sense. possible. That's a good point, Travis. Uh, it just goes on and on. There's just a bunch of little roles, little, little cameos, small bit parts by uh, a host of different actors that we still know and knew then. So I just thought if, that brings some element of entertainment because you get to. If you don't like the movie, like Travis is not a big fan of it, you get to see, oh, hey, it's him. Oh, look, it's that person. Oh, wow. that's It distracts you for a few minutes, and maybe if you don't like the film, you forget that it's awful. I don't know. Just a thought. I, one more thing about Dustin Hoffman is Mumbles. I just glanced at my notes. I have Mumbles equals Ben Mendelsohn because he looks like Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> yeah, that's really like Mendelsohn. <laughs> Reboot. Wow. Ben Director Credit. Interesting. <laughs> about it. Well, yeah, that was uh, I mean, yeah. that was that was probably the best thing about. I mean, I, I've, I've said a few things, so the best things now, but yeah, I did I did like the strong cast. It's fun to see all those people, and now that I'm older, I can appreciate it more. Like like as a kid, I definitely did not realize that that was fucking Inigo Montoya in there, uh, Mandy Patinkin, and what a Great beautiful voice. singing voice the man beautiful has. Beautiful singing I'd, voice. I'd heard that he does, but I'd never actually, you know, again, I'm not really a Broadway guy, so I'd never I'd never checked that out. But uh, yeah, there's there's. There's some really uh, good actors in there. A lot of, you know, it's good cast. Say it's also got it. that guy who plays the, um, the like, a bad guy or, like, principal who's yelling at everybody throughout the 80s and Back to the Future. Uh, yeah, Masters James of the Tolkien. Universe. 
Yeah, he's Absolutely. he's in that. Tim Tolkien has numbers. <laughs> Num- is that him? Yeah, uh, yeah that's him. Is and uh, I'll just call him numbers. Yeah, yeah strictly. Yes, he. There's uh, my. I want to say my favorite character that's not a big deal in the film is Pruneface. I think he was the one that really stood out to me. Pruneface so you know is the story frightening. Behind that, they were trying to get Prune Ronald face? Reagan to play Pruneface, and <laughs> he just kept turning them down and turning them down. I don't see how. It's fucking. <laughs> we want you to play Pruneface. Wow, um, really? So they eventually just kind of tried to model the makeup over the great Ronald Reagan and uh, his face. And you can kind of see it. You're thinking about prune face, but yep. pretty silly. But there was like yep. two guys with pruny faces. I kind of struggled with um, to which one's prune face. Because there's one guy uh, with prune face and another guy with like a less pruny face. He's like one of the leaders of the other gangs that decides to team up with Big Boy. He's like, I want to rub him out. Rub him played out. by RG. <laughs> R.G. Armstrong, who uh, Armstrong. known for uh, Predator, he played General Phillips in Predator, and uh, yeah. a million other bit roles. You would probably recognize his face, but him, Prune Face, and Little Face, who's the guy with the like the four foot face. wide head. It was just I love that Little Face. It's funny so, because it's so big. So a kid played Little Face, like a really? played Little Face because they couldn't figure out how to do the makeup. So they eventually got just a little boy there with a little small face and made him look first like an older person and then big giant head. So yeah, gave kids <laughs> nightmares for years. PG. PG. Wow. I did not know that. That's fascinating. That is interesting. Yeah. I did hit on something I think that kind of always has sat wrong with me about the, this movie and about Dick Tracy in general is that you know Dick Tracy comes from the the comic book started in, the comic strip started in 1931 right so this is still the tail end, well not even the tail end this is still like this is very much like the eugenic period this is like the this is like the the burgeoning of you of like the the, the the strongest that eugenics would ever get is the 1930s and you know part of what eugenics comes from is this idea of like uh, physiognomy that like and it's it's, it's, it's like a Victorian idea that like beauty equals virtue right and so like there's it's not an accident that in the movie that like and in the in the comic strip i imagine it's the same way that like only the villains are these grotesque you know monstrous looking people every now and then there's like a banker or somebody with a rubber nose slapped on them but for the most part like everybody that's that's you know deformed or ugly or otherwise like non-conforming um they are the bad guys and all the beautiful people are the good guys and i don't like that shit i don't like it yeah, um, I read that they wanted to, you know, it's an entire city run by like mutants, but they wanted to have <laughs> Dick Tracy have this signature, like, like broad kind of hook nose, but kind of a vanity thing for Warren Beatty, wouldn't let him touch his fucking face. Um, but I can't remember any of like the good characters being these grotesque mutants either. There isn't. Whether I, that's I was watching for you know francis galton thing or not who knows but that's interesting that you picked up on that yeah that's pretty typical of hollywood unfortunately and i guess i need to take more stock of that i kind of let it gloss over me uh consciously but you're absolutely right there's no arguing that point and unfortunately i have to live with that for the rest of my life (laughs) you have the fortitude to carry on by the way, uh, we're going to wrap this up here. Uh, by the way, if you are enjoying this conversation about Dick Tracy, if you love this movie, hit us up, Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com or on social media, look for Cinema9Pod. 
if you think this movie is awful and you never want to see it again, but you'd love to make fun of it, then please connect with us. <laughs> Gentlemen, Dick Tracy, does it hold up? I think we seem to have a rough idea of what everyone thinks, but we got to get you on the record. In the end, a lot of colors, wild characters, interesting performances, over-the-top performances, bottom line, Travis Roy, does Dick Tracy hold up? Did it ever hold up? I think that here's a question I have for you guys. Did did you either one of you grow up with a VHS of this in your house? Yes. Eric, no. Did, I just okay. ran it all the time. You just ran it all the time. Okay, so yeah. but both of you like watched it repeatedly. Yeah, so we you had have it at that, home. you you have that nostalgia thing going on. Yeah. Um, I I do I just don't. I watched it when it was new, and then we're I'm good on that. Um, so like, does it hold up? Like, well, for it's, it, it never held up for me. So if it holds up for you guys, then awesome as a personal classic, then that's great. You know? Um, cause sometimes movies like that, you know, the, we have, we all have like these, like these totemic, like these, um, uh, like these personal, these movies that are in our, like our, in our own history that, um, and then sometimes you go back and watch and you're like, Oh, that's, hmm, that's not as good as I remember. So I'm glad that it holds up for you guys. Unsurprisingly, it doesn't hold up for me because I didn't, I don't think I much cared for it in the first place. Uh, I will say I'm glad that there wasn't a bunch of sequels cause that could have just, I feel like that would have just really gone downhill, uh, fast, but, um, well, it's I, interesting I, it, you it, mentioned that though. As of 2016, Warren Beatty at 79 years old. 2016 says he's working on the sequel to Don the Yellow Trench Coat once more. Delusional. This was four years ago. But I don't know if it ever happened, but he's there's something wrong with him. <laughs> Didn't he ruin the Oscars? Oh, <laughs> he's just old and senile. He's that's what I'm saying. Maybe don't put him behind a camera or in front of one at this point. Let alone don't lead a film. <laughs> exactly. I agree with that completely. Eric, what about you? If you like PG-rated movies that have clearly visible breasts, <laughs> sexual masochism, murder, and child abuse, this is the film for you. A lot of ice cream, too. <laughs> when all is said and done, this is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. The art direction, the cinematography have to be applauded. Warren Beatty's performance as Dick Tracy, a little bit boring, Okay. The script turned in by the legendary Bo Goldman, who you know from Son of a Woman and One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, relies too heavily on homage and montage. But overall, for me, there's a lot of nostalgia here. But uh, I, I, I think this stands the test of time and should be viewed now. I'm very, extremely surprised Travis didn't like this, knowing that he hasn't seen it in 30 years. I thought he'd come back and be like, this is a hidden gem. It's just been all my life. So no, I've been <laughs> thankfully not having to deal with that for my whole life. I'm blown away that uh, uh, you didn't enjoy this. I mean, if this came out nowadays, I really wonder how people would think about it. Or if it came out in the 2000s when Sin City came out and did its thing, you know, with this visual flourish. That I don't know who the audience is for the movie. You know, I, I don't know when the right time to do it was. Half the time, I don't know what the fuck is going on, except for a bunch of monsters running around it's shooting the ringing endorsement. But I enjoy it. I absolutely think it holds up. Wow. Well, I've seen this movie many times. I had a VHS copy at home growing up, so there was many repeat viewings, so I know this film inside and out, and I think I have to separate my enjoyment of the film, my nostalgic pleasure connected to it which is undeniable travis makes a good point 
from the actual reality that it probably doesn't hold up. I think if I have to be honest and true to this podcast and to our loyal listeners, all three of them, I don't think it holds up. I, I do enjoy it. And it personally, I will always enjoy the film, but if we're asking ourselves, does this hold up in 2020? It does not hold up in 2020. There's a variety of reasons it doesn't. It's, it's uh, cartoony violence is fine because that's what it is, but it would never fly today. It wouldn't hold up now. Uh, the sexual innuendo is fun. I really enjoy that part, but it wouldn't hold up today. <laughs> I, I got to believe <clears throat> the society that we live in now, this movie would not fly as it is now. And unfortunately, that means this movie does not hold up for the whole host of reasons we've covered in this podcast. I don't need to cover it again. So sorry. I love it. I will always watch it personally, but I have a job to do here, damn it, and I'm going to stick to it. Yeah, I don't know that people today would have the the uh, the, the wherewithal to, to sit there and watch Al Pacino slap Madonna across the face for like two hours. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, that actually reminds me of a uh, oh uh, uh, in Scott Pilgrim when uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, knives uh, she gets punched in the face by uh, Jason Schwartzman or no by Brendan Ralph. That's not cool. That did happen in a movie ten years ago. I just want to mention that. So. And it's a well-received film, usually. So maybe you would. You never know. I know it's not cool, but movies are movies. And depending on the context of a character, you have to believe that they would do it or not, as opposed to whether it's appropriate or not. That's a whole other story. So You're going to take a punch. Brandon Routh is uh, nothing to shake a stick at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Dick Tracy. I hope you enjoyed that. We love bringing Dick Tracy to you. And now, Travis, you never have to watch it again. Yay! That's wonderful. Uh, next week's film for our Does It Hold Up? I don't think we decided on it, so I think we're just doing Wonder Boys. Is that correct? I'm great with that. Yep, it's happening. It's just been announced. Wonder, Wonder Boys, Boys will be the, gears. <laughs> Wonder Boys will be the subject of uh, next week's show. Does it hold up? Two thousand. It came out, so it's a little more recent, and uh, we'll keep getting more recent. We promise you, we'll get some more recent films coming up, but. In the meantime, I think we have an email. Eric, do we have an email today? Um, wonderful gentleman named Brian uh, emailed the show with the following question. Where do movies go from here during and after the pandemic? And if there isn't an end to the pandemic, what is the normal film model of theatrical releases by the big studios morph into? Wow. If there isn't an end. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Brian. We always appreciate your emails. Cinema9pod at protonmail.com. Travis, do you have any opening thoughts? Well, um, I saw someone, I think it was Kevin Smith, I want to say, was making the suggestion that like, hey, you know, these movies like like Black Widow and stuff, like um, if if you can't release them in theaters, you want to make sure you make your money back, release them for home viewing, just charge uh, like a hundred dollars for it. And then that's a good model. I'm like, fuck you, Kevin Smith. That is not a good model. I'm not sitting there and paying a hundred dollars to watch black widow. Um, so I think that like some of the ideas, like, so some, some of these movies, like obviously like they have started putting on, uh, you know, made available for streaming. You can buy them early for 20 bucks, that kind of stuff. And I think that that will make sense for some movies. I, I watched, you know, uh, a, a couple movies like that and it's been fine, but some of these bigger movies, like, they're just not, it's just not going to work. Like Marvel movies, Mulan, um, big, big blockbusters that are meant to reap the um, profits for these studios. Like they're just not going to work. So like, um, 
I don't know that how, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer. Um, I, I think that there will probably be a lot more streaming in the future, unsurprisingly. And I think that the, these big tentpole movies will probably continue to be in theaters. Um, but they might be some like the only ones that are in theaters and going to the movies might become more and more like going to a concert or something like that, where it's just actually a pretty rare thing. Yeah. That's a real bummer for movie theaters. I mean, movie theaters have been uh, trying to get their piece of the pie and hanging on for dear life for the last couple of decades now with their, we all know they make their money on their outrageous concession prices. Cause that's really the only way they can make, like a healthy, healthy profit as opposed to maybe a minimal profit. And I've, mm-hmm. I've always felt that this model wouldn't last. And when a powerful, overwhelming situation like COVID-19 comes and sweeps the world like this, there's going to be sacrifices. And I think that the movie industry may change for good. This, this will force people to look at things and how they release now in a whole new way. And the movie theaters may not last forever. It truly may not. I mean, vaudeville didn't last forever. There's certain things right. that die. And I just wonder that this could be the tipping point that slowly leads to just people wanting to watch and buy movies at home. And Hollywood executives are just going to, and especially the, the distributors and the, the especially distributors, actually, they're going to have yeah. to accept this. This is the one they get hurt the most because they'd have nothing to do. There's nothing they can really do now. I don't know how they get their piece of the pie. I, I, I hate going to the dentist, but I want my teeth to be healthy. So I have to go there it's kind of the same thing with movies like i fucking hate going to movie theaters because the people can drive me incessantly nuts and it gives me it gives me so much anxiety to be in there but i also want to see these new movies when they come out and the only way to do it really is to get into the movie theater yes i like the loud sound of the the speakers and the big screen but the whole theater experience for me is intensely nerve-wracking so would i pay 19.99 to see like the upcoming Batman movie in my home? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, will I miss going to the theater seat on a big screen? Yeah. But if this is the way things are trending, uh, you know, I, I kind of support it. Okay. Um, and a lot of these smaller movies that are going straight to VOD, I would definitely pay to, see, you know, $20 to see a, a smaller movie. Um, on the home screen as opposed to having to go through the whole experience at the movie theater when I don't really care about the big screen or the sound. I just really want to see the, you know, the smaller release, but I don't like the theater experience that much. Okay. Um, so yeah, all good things must have. So, you know, we got Marty Scorsese calling Marvel films, nothing but theme park rides and (laughs) gets a lot of shit, but he he's right it's 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 its own experience so i love theme parks yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i don't think you i don't think any of us miss like blockbuster and going to rent movies that whole industry just died and we moved on from it so i'm not saying that's what movie theaters are but it's just an example of hey this is the only way i knew growing up and it died completely and now it's a new way i do like watching movies on a huge screen in the dark I do like that. Like, I'm not going to do that at home. I'm probably going to break up my phone and distract myself. I won't do that in the theater. Yep. Yeah, that's that's true. true. There is something about being, I understand the anxiety that you uh, described there, Eric, but there is something, there is something about the connection of watching Mm -hmm. a film with a bunch of other people you don't even know and you're all experiencing it together. It is a unique experience. I will give it that. 
Yeah. When that, um, that was, I don't know if you guys saw this trending on Twitter recently. It was like, it was just an audience reaction to Cap catching Mjolnir in, uh, in uh, Endgame and like the audience's reaction to it. And I watched that clip and I did not expect to get like emotional, but I got really emotional watching it just because I was like, that's just something that, you know, I'd taken for granted, you know, um, going to see a big movie and having that visceral emotional reaction with people, you know, it's cathartic. Marvel's got a live one. Hook, line, and sinker, baby. Woo! You know, I love my Marvel movies. <laughs> no, I understand what you mean. I saw that too. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of, you know, when Dark Knight came out and I got to watch that in the theater with a bunch of the people. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And everybody felt the same way, I feel like. And I can understand. There's certain movies you go and you have a special experience that probably cannot be replicated, but I think I'll get over it. <laughs> I think the I'm with you, Eric. The matter is, the, the model, the it's worth it for um, these filmmakers, okay? Because when they put Trolls World Tour out on VOD, it made like $50 million in like three days. And the projections were super, super low for it to go into the theaters. So they're, take, they're gonna take advantage of that. And from what I'm hearing, they're going to push probably uh, Wonder Woman on the VOD. Um, probably not some of the bigger Disney movies like Mulan and Black Widow, but some movies you wouldn't expect to see on VOD are going to go there because they know they're going to get that uh, $20 and, and then just have you buy a little bit later. So Yeah, let's take advantage of people while they're broke, man. Let's get the rest of their money. Before it's all gone. <laughs> right. And, we, you know, none of us really have these gigantic families, so paying $20 to see a movie as opposed to like $100 for the whole theater experience for like five people is absolutely worth it in my opinion. Right. That's, that's, that's part of the difference right there. Like it's one thing if you're buying, if you're, even if it was a hundred dollars, if I was paying for, you know, a family of five, then maybe I wouldn't feel so differently about it. But like, I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just me too, guys. Thanks. Me. Not me too. I'm just me, comma. Never mind. All right. Uh, so thanks, that was yeah. a great email. Thank you, Brian. And man, we get some good emails the last couple of weeks. Very thought provoking. Uh, taking it to the next level. Thank you very much. Appreciate that yeah, greatly. Thanks, Thank you, Brian. Now let's close the show as we always do. It's quarantine picks time. What do we got to offer? What do you want to recommend to our fellow listeners, people out there who love film, television, entertainment of all ages, creeds, nationalities, uh, genres? Uh, this doesn't make any sense. Eric, do you have something you'd like to recommend to the public this week? Aside from the 1970s disaster films produced by the great Erwin Winkler, <laughs> I started watching uh, Elf <laughs> once again because it's on Tubi. Yes. Um, it's laugh out loud funny. So I remember watching this as a kid and I was like, all right, does this hold up? Like they got this talking alien and like the family. They had great writers on that show because I, I was laughing out loud in bed watching it. And, you know, we're talking about Elf here. 1986 to 1990 run, four seasons. It's funny. So I recommend uh, revisiting Elf. Hey, Willie, where's the cat? No, if, uh, stay out of the kitchen. Someone's coming over, Elf. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan's own right there. Well done. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what do you think, Mike? I love Elf. I think Elf's a great show. I'd watch it in a heartbeat. And I didn't know it was available on this Tubi, whatever the hell this Tubi. is. I can't keep I can't keep track of all these venues for watching things. It's insane. I've never even heard of it. 
yeah, there's Tubi, which is really good, and then there's like Voodoo or something that has like oh. six thousand movies. They're all bad. Voodoo, V U D U. <laughs> yeah, that one's like a good that. one. But Pluto is great. Pluto is pretty good. Think about Pluto. <laughs> See, it just never ends. Uh, but I do think Elf's a great show. I'm glad you're watching it. I support you completely. Funny. What about you, Travis? Do you have something to recommend this week? My suggestions. Uh, yeah, so I watched um, 2012's The Hunt with Mad, Mads Mikkelsen, which I'd oh, seen when it was new. Oh, oh and my God, man, so that really holds up. Just uh, yeah. one, of the best, one of the best performances from uh, just amazing. And then um, probably the movie that I watched that left the biggest impact on me. Uh, I didn't know anything about it going in. And I'm not going to say anything about it. I recommend anybody else does the same. I just heard that the movie uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was a good movie. So I just watched it and it was fucking incredible it was really really good um and i watched uh the new invisible man that was really really fun like felt like a non-stop climax uh kind of i'd say those were probably the highlights of my viewing of the last of the last week although there's been there's been some good ones may i ask you how you um were able to watch invisible man be it a torrent or did you Take the VOD route and pluck down the twenty dollars. Uh, the VOD route. So, would you have gone to see it in theaters? Um, probably not. I thought about it. I was I was thinking about seeing it in theaters when this all happened. Um, so I was go. it was like it was I was on the fence about it. There you go. Mm. And Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I keep hearing great things about. Is that a French film? I'm not telling. Okay. <laughs> wow. Going blind. Just go in. Just, right. just trust okay. me. Just watch it. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, it's got an 8.2 on IMDb. That's a very high rating. It's awesome. Okay. I would have to say, I'd like to recommend a documentary. I've been on the documentary roll. The documentary <laughs> tip, as people know. Right. And I watched a 2014 Oscar winner for best documentary feature. It's called 20 Feet from Stardom. Oh. It's about... Backup singers, the life of a backup singer. Where do they come from? Who are they? They're 20 feet from the main front leader of the band, like Sting and uh, the Rolling Stones, all these other big, huge bands you're aware of. There's all these backup singers. What, what, did they want to be headliners? Did they want to be lead singers? Some of them were. And one of them, <clears throat> this is the only thing I want to give away about this, one of them <laughs> was the, uh, a very well-known singer, and she was basically taken advantage of by... Phil Spector, who's, she wasn't the first person, not in a, like a violent way, but she was basically, her career was destroyed and she was locked in a box by Phil Spector. She sang the songs, but different names of other people were put on the title when they went out to the public. So you're hearing this woman's voice, but it's someone else's name you're aware of. It's really crazy stuff. And that's just one example of a bunch of these people you've never heard of who are really talented and they're about like harmony and connection. And some of them don't want to be headliners. They're really happy being a part of a musical ensemble. So I found it to be surprisingly entertaining and thoughtful and a bit emotional. It was very good. And I, I would like to recommend that one. 20 Feet from Stardom. I love the filmmaker, Morgan Neville. He's made some awesome documentaries. Won't You Be My Neighbor, the yep. Fred Rogers documentary. And uh, the Love Me When I'm Dead, the Orson Welles uh, Netflix documentary about the other side of the wind. So great filmmaker. Oh, that's one of my favorite documentaries. I love it. 
Well, there you go. This guy's oh got my a strong. God. Sorry, I, there was one other movie I wanted to mention to you. I, I watched 2019's recent offering from Diane Keaton, uh, Palms. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Keaton crying and typing her. and laughing. She, she cried. She cried in this movie, and uh, and I thought of you, and it was and it was and it was a well done crying scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never Diane Keaton. Uh, it'll never be better than uh, something's got to give. Two thousand three, Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Diane Keaton. Really good movie. Yeah. We make fun of it all the time because she does the crying typing thing in that movie. <laughs> she sounds like a. She sounds like. <laughs> she sounds like Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin doing the ghost in Beetlejuice. Actually, now I just realized that. <laughs> Ooh, we're ghosts. <laughs> I, I used to love Diane Keaton in the seventies in Woody Allen films and The Godfather. I don't uh -oh. know. I think uh, it was like talk Baby about Woody Allen. when, like, Moratorium. all of a sudden Diane Keaton just turned into just like just that, this cackling hyena, and I'd never oh. understood her since. Oh, I, 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 used to I love still her like her work very much. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. why she I was really her. good in the Three Wives Tom's. Club, guys. Oh, I didn't like that movie. That's not a good movie. <laughs> oh. uh, by but the way, like uh, Keaton. so Di oh, yeah, Diane Keaton's latest. Check it out. Palms, 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 palms. Uh, by the way, Twenty Feet from Stardom is available on Netflix, so that's why I recommend it. You can watch it on Netflix at any time. Great dog. Mm -hmm. Well, that is going to do it for another episode of the Cinnamon Eyed Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget next week if you want to join in with the fun and listen along. We're doing Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. So find it now. I don't know if it's available on a certain streaming service or not, but if you can buy find it, it you won't buy it. it. Yeah, yeah, give a little tribute. Pay tribute to a wonderful film, or maybe not, but we'll find out next week. Gentlemen, as we close, Eric, do you have any final thoughts here? Do you uh, want to give us some advice for the future? Um, <laughs> you know, do your thing at home. Be responsible. Uh, listen to the news, listen what the experts tell you, but also take the time out to enjoy the output of creativity that your friends are putting out. A lot of people that I know are uh, starting to do a lot of hobbies that they wouldn't normally do, but thanks to this unprecedented time, they're able to put out some really interesting stuff, support them, and uh, let them know, either online or you know over the phone, that you see what they're doing. And uh, it's a great time for creativity. So be safe, stay creative, and thank you for watching the show. Send us an email. Beautiful. Thank you. Right. Travis? Um, there's a scene towards the end of Dick Tracy when Al Pacino is like, he's got a cigar and he's holding it and he starts filleting it. Um, never, <laughs> ever watch this scene in this movie. PG. Just don't watch it. He's, he's like licking the end of it. And he's kind of like, eh, like, just never watch that scene. And have a great part. life. My advice. That is beautiful advice. Thank you so much for trying to help us be better people and avoid painful, <laughs> triggering memories such as those. Thank you. <laughs> this is Cinema 9 Podcast. Thanks a lot. Cinema 9 Pod at ProtonMail.com. Cinema 9 Pod, the numerical nine on Facebook and Twitter and so on and so on and so on. Please contact us. We want to talk about Wonder Boys next week and we're going to give you more picks. And who knows what actor we'll dissect next week. Who knows what will happen. So stay tuned for a very, very special episode of Cinema 9 Podcast next week. Big boy did it. 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 Big boy did it.
so dumb. <laughs>